See, your energy is so powerful and it is the number one currency that everybody wants. You know, they say the biggest way to take away somebody's power is to take away your attention. If you just take away your attention or just don't even give somebody that attention, you know, give it to people who really deserve it, which are people that are providing that same energy back. It's a beautiful exchange. I know that the world is in a state of chaos and craziness. It always has since the beginning of time. And it takes a really strong, courageous and bold person to stand up for themselves and stand up for what you believe and stand in your truth and your power because nobody's going to do that for you. This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat because this is it. Hi there. So I got convinced to put the Christmas tree and all the decorations up the day after Halloween, which, if you know me, is very not me. (laughs) But my oldest wanted to surprise my youngest for when she came home from school, and honestly, her reaction was pretty spectacular, and it was all totally worth it. The tree has given me quite a bit of joy, actually. The lights are so pretty, and our dog, who we only got last year on Boxing Day, well, she's been using the bottom branches as a back scratcher, and, you know, the whole thing is just really nice. I read something this week that said we shouldn't be shaming anyone for wanting to put their Christmas or holiday decorations up early, because for lots of people, the next few months are really dark, and if brightening up their life comes in the form of twinkle lights, then who are we to judge? It really made me change my perspective. Today, my guest is Helen Edwards. She and I talk a lot about how we were raised and why there shouldn't be one rigid rule that follows all the generations, because things change, and when we change with them, we grow. Imagine that, right? (laughs) We recorded this back in the summer, and I'm so happy that it's finally come up on the posting schedule. Helen is a movement speaker, an event creator, a yogini, and an author of the book Nothing Sexier Than Freedom and Your Inner Evolution. Helen's signature talk, Protect the Throne, is kind of like a slap in the face, but in a good way. She teaches life skills, networking, and conscious behavior classes and shelters, and she has a background of working with children who have autism. It's Helen's dream to help women and men free themselves from other people's opinions, self-judgment, self-neglect, and provide them with the basic tools to work towards courage and self-love. Yes, please. This is Helen Edwards, actually. I have been quoting this line that Glennon Doyle wrote in her latest book, like crazy, I'm saying it to everybody, because it really resonated with me. And for some reason, when I was looking at, you know, your bio, and I was sort of doing some research on you, it popped back into my head. She was talking about being awestruck by someone, it ended up being a woman, it was actually her future wife, actually. And she was saying how it wasn't realistic to have this thought because she was already married to a man and she had kids. And she brushed it off by saying, ah, maybe in a different life. Isn't that interesting is if I had more than one. I wanted to just start with that because I wanted you to tell me a bit about Protect the Throne and how that came to be. Sure. Wow. Well, first of all, that's pretty interesting what you just said. You know, maybe in a different life that resonates with me quite a bit with my book, Nothing Sexier Than Freedom, which is kind of where Protect the Throne developed uh, just living a life, multiple, multiple experiences all in one lifetime already before 40 was crazy to me. And I just kept jumping ship to ship to ship to ship and getting scrutinized for 
doing all these things outside the box. I mean, multiple things. I'm considered a multiple achiever, having so many titles and labels. And it's something that I just thought, well, if you have one life to live, I want to do everything I can and experience everything I can. I just didn't know I'd do it in such a short time. <laughs> right. So protect the throne kind of came with when I, the latter part of the book, when I got into yoga, which was, um, you know, the union of the mind, body, and soul and or spirit. And I realized that what I was doing through my whole life, starting with a young age, is I learned how to protect myself. I learned very young about the mind and how to work it to my benefit. I just didn't know all the terminology behind it or the science thereof. And as I got older, I learned more about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this my whole life. Who knew that we already have it in us. We already have this protector in us. And Tony Robbins talks about it too, the warrior archetype. And the more I dove into it, I realized we all have a warrior down our lineage in our ancestry. That warrior is a part of our blood. It's part of our lifetime. It's part of our makeup, our biology, physiology. You know, it's just in us to naturally want to survive. And in that we have a part of us that is a warrior type. And that means for me protecting the throne, you know, and I, I use that statement because there's so many people that are saying, I'm a queen, I'm a king. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, who protects that throne? Who the queen and king, the warrior does the warrior is the one that fights the front lines that goes out there and battles the fights that need to be fought for you to survive and win. And I believe that's a part of all of us. You are so, you know, confident and aware of all of, you know, your characteristics, but obviously also following all these different things. And has that been hard for you? Because I do, you said scrutinize. I feel like people are so judgy about those kinds of things that they want you to get in one lane and they just want you to stay there. Like, has that been difficult for you? It was really difficult at first. Even some of my own friends later on down the line were like, you know, as they were settling into their their one lane started saying, well, what are you doing? Like, we're not young anymore. We can't be doing that. But then they came around and they were like, oh my gosh, you're right. I should be doing more and saying more and being more. And, you know, so I think as much as I got judged about it, I realized everything that you are resisting, once you dance with it, it's almost like, you realize it's not that bad. It's, it's not actually what the judgments that we thought we all judge. I judge. And I realize there's, it's a part of the human experience, right? It, just like what you're talking about this other lifetime. Well, the lifetimes now we're living all these other lifetimes. We're living it now, whether it's in our external world or whatever, the virtual world, we're living it in our minds, which is also the internal world. So we're, we're still living it now. There is no other lifetime. This is the lifetime. Right. And that is the thing that I'm really, you know, I come up against. Obviously, we all do. I, I certainly did when I had kids. That changed everything for me because all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm not a, you know, mortal being or, you know, like this is, this is going to end at some <laughs> point. And I've got these two people and I'm their person. And so I definitely felt it then. And I also have really felt it recently because I'm having a milestone birthday and I'm certainly past over half my life living. I'm sure, um, you know, who knows what will happen, but I have thought that too, you know, this is it, which is actually why I called the podcast. This is it actually, because this is actually <laughs> it. And, 
feeling, you know, feeling stuck from time to time and how do you get the best out of our one life? Like, how do we do that? Yeah, it's definitely a day-to-day conscious work. You never know. Well, some of us like me, uh, I deal with my own demons, I'll call them. So some days I don't know what I'm going to wake up like. My moods can be completely off the wall. It's this conscious awareness that you make the choice to say, I'm going to pull myself out of bed. I'm going to force myself out of bed. I'm going to push myself forward. Last night, I broke a fever at 2 a.m. this morning. Last night, this morning. (laughs) All the same. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) So, you know, and that was really unexpected, but my boyfriend kept saying, I should take you to the hospital. And I said, I'm holistic. I've been doing this my whole life. I'm going to fight it the way I know how. And I did, and it broke it. And I woke up and I... I feel 10 times better than I did last night. And I was really proud of myself. I was like, you know, my success, as far as being an author, coach, speaker, this is also just right up there. This is a success that I beat, you know, the sickness that came upon me. And I used the same exact things that I use in all my work, the same that I did with my son the same that I did in my relationships or getting out of bad relationships. You know, I protected my throne, my mind, my body, my spirit, whatever it needs. I'm at the front lines. I'm ready. You know, there's no, Oh, I'll wait till I'm ready. No, I'm ready now. Let's do this. Yeah. So let's just all be warriors of our lives. Like, right. Maybe it sounds a little out there, but when I was listening to Helen speak about this one life we have and only looking to ourselves to fix it, change it, heal it, protect it. Well, geez, that just makes so much sense. I've heard so many stories of people who just knew in their gut that something wasn't right in their body, but tests and doctors all told them that they were fine because they couldn't find anything. Yet the people kept pressing and pushing and basically forced a diagnosis and then actually saved their own lives. Here's a not so fun truth, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I also sometimes just feel like I'm waiting to be saved. Do you know what I mean? There's this great scene in Sex and the City where the girls are all having their breakfast, as usual, and Charlotte's incredibly hungover and not in the mood for their coffee talk about men. And she ends up flopping her head down on the table and she says, I've been dating since I was 15. I'm exhausted. Where is he? (laughs) Okay, I totally get that, but not just about a life partner. I think it about work and money and vacations and the beach cottage I so desperately dream about. Like I've been doing all this life's work forever and I'm busting my butt and where's my big payoff? But here's the thing. Warriors don't whine. Warriors get back up and keep going. If you listen to this podcast regularly, well, then you've definitely heard me talk about manifesting, probably to a possibly annoying degree. Sorry about that, but also not really sorry because I tell stories about what I know and I definitely know that manifesting is a thing. The funny part of this is, even though I know it, I also forget all the time. Well, I don't actually forget. I doubt. Things have been tough this year for so many people, and my stuff is different than your stuff, and neither one is harder or more important than the other. But when we're sitting thick in the mud, it's easy to think the universe has abandoned us. It's really hard to come up with good and high vibrational thoughts when we're down and low. But, and this is going to be super irritating... That's where the magic is. 
I find myself saying, well, until I have this or when I have this, and I've got my vision mm-hmm. board and there's something so beautiful about when I can actually pull something off my vision board because I've accomplished it. But then there's all these other things that I think have to go in a line, you know, there's a lineage to them and that's just not the case. Like, why can't I pinball all over my vision board and just, you know, accomplish <laughs> all the things. That's what I think the goal should be for everybody. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've had vision boards for over a decade now, and I actually have now a vision board and a vision book. My vision book is what I travel with. So it goes with me everywhere. You know, if I'm going to a meeting, if I'm going on a weekend adventure, I have my vision book. It's something I could just keep recalling in my mind because the mind, you can train the mind. That is what is so powerful about the human experience is that the mind can be trained and it can be retrained. It can be broken down and then, you know, renewed multiple, multiple times over. It's so powerful. And once we wake up and realize that one of the things I used to do for years, years straight is I would fall asleep to meditation mantras and I'd wake up and listen to a motivational video every day. The same one didn't matter you know, how bored I got of it. What happens is that's going to keep retraining your mind. So that way, one day when you got that hard battle in front of you, you're going to naturally have those words come out of your head and you're going to think it was you, but it was actually something you heard over and over again. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And I try to do that around, you know, I try to do that with my girls, even just this week my girls are heading off to camp on Thursday. And of course they didn't get overnight camp last year because of the pandemic. And so they're so excited. This is their lifeline. I mean, they talk about it all year and they had to get a COVID test obviously before they go. And my little one started to panic. And so she was really kept saying, what if, what if? And I said to her, Hey babe, thoughts become things. Like you keep talking about Mm. being sick. You keep saying, you know, that this is going to be a negative result. And I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to protect yourself, you know, just Mm -hmm. in case, but what if you flip the script? What if you say, I'm totally healthy. I haven't had to have a COVID test. I haven't had, you know, I haven't been sick and I'm going to camp on Thursday. So we had a big Mm -hmm. chat about that. And she did, she started saying it, you know, the other way. And then of course was thrilled today when they got their results that said they can go. So I believe in that so, so, so much, you know, and in those dark moments, like you're talking about waking up in a bad mood and it was a dark year, you know, there were some dark days Mm -hmm. and on those days, you know, logically in your head that if you say this, or if you're grateful for this and you, you you know, you do these things that you're going to be okay, but you're right. It's so about training our brains and our minds to operate that way. Absolutely. How, how young are your girls? So uh, one is turning 15 on Saturday and the other one's just about to turn 12 in a couple months. Oh, wow. You got some big girls then. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in it. I'm in, I'm in tween and teen world, like deep in it. Yeah. (laughs) This is an interesting time where I think I'm doing okay. They talk to me. We're pretty open with each other, but there's a lot going on. And so keeping them on track, you know, with their bodies changing and their brains still growing and then all the other things and trying to keep themselves and myself grounded. Yes. Yes. Definitely know what you mean. My mom had four girls and the youngest was a boy. (laughs) How funny. (laughs) One of the things my mom used to say all the time when we were younger is it's your hormones, you have a hormone imbalance. And I didn't know what she was talking about, you know, and you think you do. There's something inside of you. That's what you think. Something inside you is not right. That's, that's what I took what she was saying. But when I got older, 
I actually started finding out, well, what are the, what does this mean? And I wish that she had taught me a little bit more, but I realized now she didn't even know, you know, I read a book called the female brain and it was a game changer for me. And then I ended up reading moody bitches. And I started reading all of these books on women and their hormones, you know, that dictate their emotions. And it's really helped me restore myself, understand myself more, especially as a female. And then there's a book called the, the male brain. I have one son. So I read that because I wanted to understand more about him. It definitely helped me become one more understanding two a lot more compassionate and three, it gave me tools, you know, for what's to come, what I've been through. And I couldn't, I couldn't um, encourage people more to really dive into that those types of books. Well, and because obviously how you're raised has a huge impact on you and my mom, exactly what you're saying. I mean, this was a different time. And so she was just, she was just getting by, let's face it. You know, she had five kids and, (laughs) you know, a husband who was not an involved partner. Like he wasn't a partner to her in that way. It was a very different time. So it's almost about unlearning certain things because I've unlearned a lot of behaviors. And then of course learned Mm -hmm. and trying so hard to pass that on to this next generation of, of women. I want to raise kind and generous, but wild women who don't worry about what people think of them. I was taught to be very polite and I also want them to be able to stand up for themselves and I want them to not be shrinking violets. And it's a really interesting balance, you know, with, with girls. No, absolutely agree with you. So you were raised obviously amongst sisters and and by your mom. And what's your definition of a wild woman? What does that mean to you? A wild woman is unapologetic. Uh, What the definition is to me is who I am to myself. Uh, Unapologetic, very strong and courageous uh, nature, attuned, a free spirit who knows how to dance, sing, but also stands in her power and I'm a retreat leader. So when I do my retreats, I bring in the masculine energy and I always team up with somebody who's got the feminine energy so we can complete that in, in the woman. And one of the things that I bring to the table is ceremony, dance, tribal, a lot of force to bring out the courage of a warrior within the woman. So that's what I like to bring to the table as far as the wild woman essence goes on my part. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's the perfect description I'm going to have to come to. One of your retreats, I feel like I need to get out of my shell a little bit, you know, especially after this last year, stuck in our houses and became far more introverted than I ever thought that I could be or was because we didn't have an option. And it, you become, I don't want to say insecure, but you become I became personally very comfortable, of course, but I really started questioning myself a little bit. And I think it's that midlife thing too. I think it was a combo platter of all the things, but that need to have both of those energies and to be able to scream in the middle of the forest if I need to, or, you know, dance and like crazy and, and not be concerned about what it looks like or what other people think of me. Yes, definitely. It's definitely a free feeling. And, you know, I wasn't something that I learned along the way. It was something I was kind of bred into. My mom's a wild woman and <laughs> the most wildest one I know. <laughs> so it kind of was a part of our makeup growing up. I've talked about this before, but when I first moved away from home, I met a bunch of wild women. Probably if I asked them today, if they consider themselves to be wild back then, they would laugh at me. 
They weren't doing anything overly crazy. We all worked at the same restaurant and wore mostly the same type of clothing, and no one had outrageous hairstyles, but that's not what makes you a wild woman, as I would soon learn. Some of them were in school for women's studies, and I didn't even know that was a thing, so I thought it was pretty cool, and it seemed kind of badass to me. They introduced me to music I would never have discovered on my own. Lots of female singer-songwriters who were singing about things outside of top 40 subject matter. They smoked skinny cigarettes and used tapestries for curtains, and their apartments smelled like incense. But what really stood out to me the most was the fact that they were kind, and they barely ever apologized. And that's not to say they didn't say sorry if they did something wrong. They just didn't apologize to anyone for who they were, and they never let anyone make them feel small. I know that sounds like it should be standard life protocol, but it's not. I grew up thinking if you opened your mouth too wide, you'd get labeled as a bitch. And that's actually pretty true in a lot of cases, but it's the not worrying about what other people think part that really notches up the wild in the wild woman status report. I think it's a funny thing sometimes to hear what other people think of you, especially with social media, because we share our lives and our stories pretty publicly, and we all get an idea in our head of how other people are living and what they're up to, so we make assumptions based on that. I don't actually share everything, which probably seems a bit funny because I do share a lot, but that's because it's how I connect. Words and stories and feelings and how many tubs of ice cream I have in my freezer opens me up to other people feeling and eating the same way, and that's the ultimate reminder that we're really not alone. We've all experienced trauma. I write and talk a lot about my parents who are both gone and of course my divorce and being a single mom and I call them my pain stories, but I'm so grateful for them because it is cathartic. And without having those stories, I would not be the person that I am today. And I found that when I did start sharing, of course, what happens, other people start sharing and and you have this human connection, which is so beautiful. Do you think that it's important to share our stories of pain? Is that, is that part of our, our makeup? Absolutely. I don't overshare because I don't want to be you know, be coddled. That's just for me, but it's a beautiful balance to it. So I do share the equal balance of courage and strength and also the grief and the heartache and the trauma because I've grown so much from it. And I know that seasons change. So I know there's more to come and I just try to really build myself up to be prepared for it. And I do that a lot by always returning to the grief and the, the trauma keep teaching me and reminding me of what I went through and what I'm about to go through in the future and how I got through it as well. I definitely believe in sharing it for that reason. And also like what you mentioned, Jenny, is for people to relate to it, because although me and you are on different paths, there's our younger selves, you know, like your children and my children and our nephews, nieces, grandchildren, friends, friends, children, they're about to go through their own trauma and their own suffering, and they're going to need our wisdom to be passed down to them. As a parent, you always want to try and shelter them from (laughs) from trauma and from any kind of pain, which is completely unrealistic. And I've definitely ripped this off from somebody. I want to say it might've been Brene Brown, but I, I don't know who said it, but walking through the trauma, walking through to the other side and how everybody does that, of course, in their own way and individually. And 
how do you walk to the other side of trauma? Do you sit smack in it? Is that your, is that your jam or do you try to bypass it? <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> no, I definitely sit in it and observe it in a way. Mm-hmm. For example, when I went through the grief of my brother's suicide a few years ago, it was very unexpected. And I saw my whole family just kind of fall. I mean, for good reason, they were devastated and heartbroken. And although I was also feeling the same, there was a part of me that was very conscious of how the emotions can very quickly be Mm self-destructive. And I wanted to take care of myself and also be strong enough to help my family, you know, because I could see their strength wasn't where mine was. And that's okay. You know, that's, that's how we support each other. If one of us has more strength and more courage at the time, we should be there to lend a hand to our fellow friends and family, right? And the people that we love. I sit in my grief. I work through it. I observe it. It's weird. I I try to have these outer body experiences to kind of see me from a distance, see this like human experience, what this human is going through. Not always like, how can I help? How can I fix? More like, where can I learn something from whatever I'm going through on a day-to-day basis with this. I kind of have like a science and a spiritual part of me. So I like to pull out what's the spiritual aspect of this. What's the science part of this. That's just kind of how I dissect it. Just always been like that my whole life. And I think that has been a major part of why I am such a strong and powerful vessel to go on and help other people. Having that balance is I think that's the greatest gift. For sure. If I asked you to tell me a defining moment, what would you say it was? You know, I think there's so many. (laughs) There's so many. (laughs) Uh, Because there's always this moment where I wake up and I go, oh my goodness, this, like what you said, this is it actually. (laughs) I'll tell you a recent one I had. It was last year, actually, during the pandemic. And I saw so many people fall, so many people crumble. It was really heartbreaking for me to see. I'm, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, big city, loved it. I was there for 16 years. And when I saw my, my own friends, people that I, I looked up to start to just cave in and people are getting ugly online with each other. Mm -hmm. And I just, I couldn't be around all this, this energy. I'm a believer of freedom. I broken away from all my attachments and I realized it was a defining moment for me to step into that once more. And I packed all my stuff and I moved out of Phoenix after 16 years. I didn't tell any of my friends. I've got a lot of them too, huge community out there. And I decided to just move out. I'm living my life for me and me first. And then I can help other people, but how can I help other people when everybody's shut down right now? Maybe this is a gateway for me to go and spread my wings and fly again. I've done it multiple times. Why not now? So I did. And along the way of traveling and going multiple states and sleeping underneath the stars, I met so many like-minded people who actually did the same thing. And I realized there are people out there just like me who are at that stage where I'm at. And once everybody started coming out of it and started going places and started doing things, I realized I'd already, I never stopped. I just moved. I just switched directions. It was a defining moment for me to see where I was at in life versus a lot of my friends and family and people that didn't get that opportunity. 
And it made me realize that I am somebody who practices what I preach. I am somebody that, you know, when the going gets tough, I get tougher. And it was the mirror to show me that I was ready to go even further than I've ever gone before. Wow. First of all, good for you, because I thought about moving more this past year, obviously, than I had in the, I've been in Toronto for over 20 years. So exactly what you're saying, built a community, have all my people, I've got my beautiful neighbors that I can go to for a cup of sugar if I need to. And it is very (laughs) scary. It's a very scary thought to think about getting up and going. How did you choose where you were going to go? I got sick. (laughs) I got sick. It's funny because it was actually this time last year, the exact same time that I got sick. I haven't been sick for a year and I got sick last night. So funny. I said, this is so weird, but I got sick. I actually got COVID. I'm pretty sure of it because I couldn't, I lost my smell and taste and that's never happened to me before. So I hibernated for two weeks and I did all my holistic stuff and I healed from it, but it was during the sickness that I realized I was alone. My friends weren't there. My family wasn't there. And my son's grown. He's in the air force. I didn't have a relationship at the time. I mean, I had a a couple guys I was dating, but just, I thought to myself, like, if I believe in abundance, you know, if I believe in prosperity, if I believe in all these things, why am I limiting myself to this big city? It's big. It's a big city, but I've been here 16 years. I can replay what I'm going to do with my friends. If I go out with them, I could replay the stories over and over again. And I love them dearly. And I, I'm more grateful to see them and spend time with them than I ever had before when I go visit them now. But if I think this way, then why am I just staying in this place? Why am I not ready to spread my wings and do something new? And believe me, it's hard. It was scary. And that's why I didn't tell anybody about it. Cause I knew it had to be a decision I made on my own, because if I told my friends, they would talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so me. I like to just quietly do things. And then people were like, wait, you're doing what? Because fear, obviously it's very scary and it can, you know, take over and if I actually just mm-hmm. start talking about it and I start getting opinions about it, I'll a, either back out or I might change what I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I can be influenced by other people. So, I mean, to right. make a move and not tell, I love it. That's fully what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. And to make a, a big one like that, one of the key tricks that I learned a long time ago is you got to burn your bridge. And what I mean by that is you got to burn something that you can't go back to. So at the time I just called up where I was staying and gave my notice. And that was it because they were going to find somebody to replace me. So I knew I had to go, (laughs) you know, something I'm very prideful of. And and I take a big strength to is if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And that means to myself as well. Oh, that's integrity. That's the, that's the thing we should all have. And and you saying, you know, when you say you're going to do something and you do it, you act the way you say you will, you practice what you preach. That to me is the best quality a person can have. Thank you. <laughs> really. I really mean that. And, and hearing you and speaking with you, I can tell that. And it makes me want to be a better person, quite honestly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good. Look, I wasn't always this way. Trust me. I was real. I was, a, when I say I was a bad person, And I know bad is a very strong term. Mm. I was a bad person. I did bad things. I know my son, my own son, who I'm writing a book with now, I know he's going to have trauma. We've talked about it. And I know a lot of people say they don't regret stuff, but I really regret, you know, leaving my son at a young age, but through grief and suffering, 
and wanting and yearning to be a better person. Whatever you want, whatever you put out there, you will attract, you will. And with that strong emotion, it will come. And that was one of those things I want to change my life. I wanted to be a better person, especially be a better person for him. And now we're writing a book together. So it can be done. Isn't that beautiful? Are you overcome with emotion? Whenever you sit to write with him, you must be. I read his, his, uh, what he writes. I asked him privately. I said, you know, I'm really sorry for not being there the times that I did. I don't even know if I contributed to your life at all. Like, you know, and he said, what are you kidding me, mom? You were there and you did as much as you could. And he said, you know, the one thing I got from you that helps me the most in life is you used to always say, feel the fear and do it anyways. And like, you know what you were talking to your girls about Jenny, they, you're telling them these things and you don't think they're hearing it, but once they're older, they're going to be like, you told me that mom, it is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> That's the dream, right? I mean, <laughs> cause you do say things over and over again. You think, oh my God, who am I speaking to? Am I actually speaking to yeah. right now? <laughs> Are they you know, listening? Actually, my eldest daughter asked me not that long ago, would you talk as much about your mom and dad or about Oma and Opa? as you do if they were still here. And I was like, well, I guess that's probably the sad part. Maybe not. Right. I mean, cause I would be talking to them, but now I need to keep their stories alive. That feels so important to me and the things yeah. that they've said. And I definitely, my dad died when I was young, you know, I was 21. So I wasn't super young, but I was still young. And I very clearly remember some of those things that he said, like what your son is saying. And you're right. They're always watching and they are always listening. And you had an impact on him you know, when, when you were there and that's what means the most to them. Absolutely. Well, you are a light and I am definitely not done with you in my life. So I will probably <laughs> now stalk you and ask you more questions and I want to do a retreat with you. So I'm sure we will stay in touch, but I really appreciate um, you giving me your time today. It was a really beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Jenny. This is a tip, actually. I'll say this because I often hear a lot of people ask how I deal with comparison and social media overload. It can actually bring people down. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and it could bring them down when they're in, we're all in the same industry. One of the things that I like to say at the end of everything is there's a lot of kids out there that are suffering. There's a lot of people out there suffering. And as long as that's still going on, I really would encourage those that are comparing or feeling like there's a social media, you know, that's bringing them down to turn it around because the world really needs more adults and children making a difference in this world. As long as there's kids starving or suffering or getting abused or people getting abused or sex trafficking, you know, or domestic violence or all these horrible, horrific horrific evils out there. There's not enough lights that are standing up. So when you're a podcaster, you're an entrepreneur, you're a coach, you're an author, whatever you are, and you're feeling like you're not making a difference in this world, delete that thought from your head because we do need you. That's it. <laughs> well, geez, that was a pretty awesome conversation. You can find Helen on Instagram at hell of a journey one L and her podcast is called sexy freedom media podcast. You can find it on Anchor and all the places you listen to podcasts. She's running a three-day retreat at the Hideaway Ranch, an hour outside of LA, and registration is now open. The link is in her bio on her Instagram. 
You can find me at This Is It Actually on Instagram and at This Is It Actual on Twitter. Okay, that's it. Thanks for your time today. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat. Cause this is.